Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome on today's episode of Partially Excited. We got Cindy Teason. She is a woman that has an amazing knowledge, experiences, and journey. Hello, welcome to the show, Cindy. How are you doing today? Hey, Aaron. I'm very well. Thanks for joining me. Tell us about how you got into the area of uh, holistic and spirituality. Quite by accident, actually. Uh, you know, through suffering, I can say that I was seeking uh, answers to ending my pain. Wow. So, so you were kind of seeking relief um, for life then? Yeah, it's, you know, not uncommon <laughs> where you have some form of suffering and uh, I was uh, no stranger to that indeed. My father suffered uh, so severely that he became depressed and then so depressed that he died by suicide. And um, that started me on a quest to find an end to suffering itself because, you know, when he passed, it was... Uh, what arose for me was it will not be for nothing. And I really didn't know what it meant at the time, but I vowed I would find out. And um, my father uh, struggled with finances. And so he, uh, I thought maybe it had something to do with that because I also struggled with that. But I later came to realize that that's really a symptom, not actually a cause of this pain and the suffering. And so it was years later, through my own unrelated suffering, um, that I found relief. But it was really, that was sort of, to me, a turning point. You must have found, found it hard to, to digest uh, something like what you experienced. It was shocking, to say the least. It was, I remember clearly walking through the hospital, you know, moments after. We had pulled life support um, because we all knew that he wouldn't want to live the way he was living. So we'd pulled life support and 
afterwards walking through the hospital, some strange thoughts arose, you know, like, how can this be? How could the world just go on? Why hasn't everything stopped? And I'm not the only one who's had these thoughts. I've worked with people since, uh, and I hear the same thoughts. I hear the same uh, sort of struggle. And, but it does. The world goes on. People don't know what just happened, and life doesn't stop. And then you might be left with the whys. Why, why, why? I didn't dwell too much on that because I knew it was, there's no single why. You know, it's very complex um, what happened. In fact, I was sort of the hub for the family. Everybody was coming to me to find out what's going on during, you know, his little hospital stay for a week. How did this happen or what's, what's uh, all the details. And I saw little snapshots, little snippets of his life from everybody. I got a little piece. Everybody knew something that somebody else didn't know. And I kind of put the whole picture together myself that way. I found out things I didn't know that were going on for him. And so when I had sort of a bigger picture of things, I could see what, how this came to be. And so the whys really fell away. There was just no point in that. Uh, certainly no, you know, why me? Why us? Why him? No, this didn't even, you know, arise. It was just getting through. Uh, one of the things I was told to do by the health workers at the hospital was to, three things actually, walk, talk, and tears. And I found that walking was good, getting sunshine was good, talking, not so good. Um, and I was advised against the, that by the advice I was getting from uh, Zen teachers at the time, that talking was not necessarily a good thing. And I figured if I couldn't speak it, if I couldn't share it, that would be a problem but I did not need to share it over and over and over and over and suffer it over and over and over. Um, and the third thing was tears. And I agree with them to a point. I practice and I, and I help people with open-eyed crying that when crying comes, let it come, let it go, don't resist. But keep your eyes open. That keeps you in contact with the world around you. It keeps you from falling into suffering. And there is a difference between grieving and suffering that most people don't realize is a very important one. So, so suffering is done in the mind, what I call the movie in the mind. And this is where all of our suffering resides, which is, you know, if you've ever gone to the movie theater and you've watched a movie and you got engrossed, you even got scared or you fell in love or whatever, you had this experience. And for a moment, you may have forgotten. It's just a movie that you're actually in a theater. You get involved and you lose reality. I don't know if I've been in a very scary movie where I, I literally pulled myself out and said, it's not happening. <laughs> That's right, I'm in a movie theater, it's okay, it's not happening. And when we go unconscious, when we don't know the difference anymore between the movie and the reality, that's unconsciousness. And we all have a movie in the mind playing. And that when we think that the movie in the mind is the reality, we, we lose touch with reality. We don't see what's actually going on, then we suffer. Whatever can happen in the mind, in the creative, crazy mind, we suffer it. And so grieving is, you. there's a loss. There's something that's not normally there. And it, it'll take a little while for that to become your new normal. And so you'll have reminders. 
that might take you into suffering in the mind. Oh, why him? Why, why, why? And the trick is to stay grounded, stay aware of your senses, stay aware of your of what's actually going on around you. And this brings you out of the suffering mind. Um, to me, that's um, that's the best advice and, uh, that I can give. That's the best advice I was given uh, during this time. It was how I got through it without really losing my mind, let me tell you, and uh, losing myself in it also. How, how are you able to deal with the grief of losing someone important like your father? So the grief passed through. You know, it took about three months uh, until uh, happiness arose again. Our natural state is happiness, love, joy, peace. And the only reason we're not knowing our natural state is if we have something unnatural like a movie in the mind, a painful movie in the mind, a painful story of, of resistance to what actually is. And so I went around three months. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't really any happiness, I would say, for about, you know, three months. And one day I was sitting at the table, the sun was shining, and there was this little moment of happiness that came up. And I noticed it because it was in stark contrast to the sort of sadness that was around. And the thought came, I'm happy. I know what happiness is. My goodness, this is happiness. And then came the thought, well, can I, wait a minute, can I be happy? I mean, dad died. And it was the strangest moment, Aaron, because I already was happy. And here was the mind asking, can I be happy? And I, I saw, I realized, no, happiness is here. And I recognized dad wouldn't want me to be unhappy. And that was a turning point that day. That was when happiness started to come back into my life. Wow. And, and what does happiness feel like? <laughs> like sunshine, <laughs> you know, light and open and airy and... Um, right it just feels right um it, it's natural to me and so it is unnatural to be unhappy uh, uh you know constantly it's okay it can come it can go uh, but it's not our natural default and so it makes sense that we all want happiness so so yeah we all we all want to um be happy um but like emotions pop up and we change from angry sad and then back to happy yeah it can happen uh again your natural state your default state let's say your your ground your baseline is happiness it's undisturbed we are happy uh, disturbed by what some thing person or an event and not even actually a thing a person or an event but an idea about the thing the person or the event it's the movie in the mind that disturbs us and without that we're at peace even in some of the most dangerous places one time i was driving in the winter uh, and i lost control of the car so much so that i was facing perpendicular the wall and but sliding sideways down the highway and such a deep peace overwhelmed me <laughs> even though you know the last thought was hmm, I think I'm gonna have a, a, a real accident this deep stillness and peace took over and I was able to write the car don't know how or why there's no how or why the mind would go how why what did that who did that whatever 
when peace comes over you, you have access to wisdom, knowledge. You're in the moment fully, and you can respond in a much better way to the moment than when you're in the movie in the mind. And it's happened more than once. There was one time a car was spinning in front of me on freezing rain. It was spinning like a donut. And I had never before experienced such depth of peace, stillness. Everything shut down. And he went into the other lane and then he came back again. (laughs) And he went into the other lane and then finally he regained control and he kept going. And that's when mind came back online and it said, oh my God, I was nearly killed. And then my heart raced and I couldn't drive anymore. My hands were shaking, my feet were shaking. I had to pull over and stop. And I was like, I'm afraid now. I'm safe now. But then I wouldn't have wanted to have been, you know, afraid and scared and out of control like that when that car was spinning within inches of mine. It was a huge learning for me that it is possible even when your life is threatened, it is possible to be so completely and thoroughly and absolutely at peace. And so how much more possible is it when your life isn't threatened? So we have ideas that certain situations make us feel a certain way, that certain people make us feel a certain way. But those are our ideas, those are our rules. And I don't know if you've noticed, but everybody has different rules. (laughs) Different rules about what things will make them happy or make them unhappy. And these are completely made up by us. For some people, if their partner went out and and was intimate with someone else, that would make them extremely unhappy. For other people, that would make them happy. Believe it or not, I know it's not common, but I know it's out there. (laughs) So is it a fact that certain things make us happy or unhappy, or is it that we've made the rules and we're not aware that we've made the rules. And so we think things, people or events make us happy or unhappy. That's how free we are. (laughs) We're free to make those rules and we're free to not make those rules, to not uphold those rules. This is a lot of things that I learned through these experiences, but none so much as when I was in my own intensive suffering in 2009 and it was way overboard Uh, (laughs) even that's a funny thing to say because we have these ideas that well I call it the happiness hierarchy right if we get let's say an ice cream cone we can have a certain amount of happiness but if we get a new partner (gasps) we have way more happiness right or million bucks way more happiness right Mm -hmm. so we have these are rules these are our hierarchy that that we've made but it has tethered our happiness it has put a cap on our happiness it has attached our happiness to the world but i discovered our happiness is not attached to the world actually and that we are capable of so much more love joy peace and bliss than than we have lived or imagined And in fact, it's been our imagination that has kept us from it. We imagine we can't be that happy. I would thought that imagination would do the opposite. Make you unhappy? No, make you happy instead of unhappy. You know, it does both, but temporarily. So we 
imagine and imagination to me is the same thing that I call the movie in the mind. So the movie in the mind are pictures, images, stories, smells, tastes, sights, sounds. It's like a full on, you know, 3D, 4D movie theater in the mind. And depending on the content and depending on how much you believe the movie and how much you engage with it, it will depend on how much you experience it, you feel it. If you don't believe it to a great extent, you won't feel it very much. But if you believe it and you're unconscious and you think it's the reality, you may feel it so much that you think your life is threatened. And this is how wars are started. So the content of the movie in the mind is what makes most people happy and unhappy. But there is the happiness of being, which has nothing to do with the movie in the mind. When all the movies stop, a natural, uncaused happiness bubbles up. And that's when people go, why am I happy? <laughs> why am I? What happened? Nothing happened. Because we think something has to happen. And so when people do the work that, uh, that I help them do, this will happen. They'll, they'll report after a few weeks. They'll come back and go, I was just, you know, just watching TV. Nothing great. It was just Walt Disney or something. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this happiness bubbled up. Yeah, it's your natural state. Uh, you didn't need a movie for it. Um, and so we don't need anything to be happy. We need something to be unhappy. Uh, like an unhappy story, an idea, a resistance to what is. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or anything. When I was in the, you know, the peak of my suffering, I had no job. I had huge debt. I had uh, a spinal injury. I had no, f I had a few friends, but not many, no relationship, nothing. And pretty much rock bottom at age 44. I could have added on to that, I'm old and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> but it was enough, you know, and I was happy. <laughs> I was happier than I'd ever been my whole life. Is, is peace and happiness uh, together? Just yeah, good one. Um, so when we want something, everybody starts out wanting something because they believe what I call the happiness lie. The belief that things, people, or events make us happy or unhappy. That's the happiness line. So we want something, right? Or we're unhappy because we don't have something or someone. And when we get it, the first thing that happens is we get relief. Oh, we stop aggravating ourselves. And this, this is relief. And after that, you might have some form of peace because that agitation is gone. So now you've got some more stillness, some peace. And if you stay with it, as I discovered, when I fell in love with love, that's how I call it, at first I got the relief, and then I got some peace and some space, and then it started to feel good. You might call that pleasure. Uh, happiness came. And if you stay with it, it can evolve into what you might call joy or even bliss even ecstasy. I believe the ecstasy that certain mystics spoke about, like Rumi, who I think also fell in love with love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so is it, it, the bigger it gets, 
it always you always end up with uh, joy, peace, or love, and, and they just get bigger and bigger, and then you you lose the difference between them all. It, it, that's when it becomes sort of ecstasy. It's, it's just, there's no more sep lines, division, separates just one big <laughs> uh, overwhelming. It shuts down the mind, shuts down speech, shuts it just consumes you. <laughs> it's it's interesting how it's it's happiness, peace, and love. It's like that's the formula to be self-realized in some way. I uh, yeah, you know, I think you you can look this up. Um, four factors of realization you definitely need to have uh, peace and happiness it, it just arises it's not done on purpose it just happens when you return to your natural state when you abandon the stories when you abandon the disturbances then you have peace happiness arises naturally but what also needs to be present is uh, an urgency uh, an inquiry a uh, earnestness for or a longing we could say for the truth or reality or god it doesn't matter what you call it um, there is something else we all know there's something else and because that we all feel something's missing we're seeking something and there's a very good reason for that <laughs> because there is way more <laughs> way more and there isn't way more because we believe that we are a tiny separate individual person being self then basically what we've done is we've created everything else to be not me you draw that line in the sand it says this is me and that's not me well it would be like going to a deserted island paradise island you got this whole island to play on and you put up a picket fence around your hut and you say this is my place and you're so pleased and proud and happy to have my place you think you've defined my place but what you've also automatically defined is what's not my place and which one is bigger <laughs> my place is pretty tiny compared to the rest of the island and this is what we do we say this is me and we say oh everything else not me and now it all becomes a mystery it's not me but i don't i don't know what it is and so we have divided mentally ourselves into a tiny portion of our true self our totality our reality and so we feel like there's something missing <laughs> of course we our true self hasn't gone anywhere our totality hasn't gone anywhere we have just mentally constricted ourselves to this little being and compared to the rest of reality this is infinitesimal and so we feel tiny and we feel afraid and we feel lost and we're scared of the unknown what has now become the unknown and the truth is it's not other than yourself but now appears to be the unknown and we know we know there's something's wrong something's missing something's off i don't know what it is <laughs> but there's something and that yearning will not leave you until you discover the truth of ourselves and that's how it should be <laughs> <laughs>
um, it, it's interesting how how the movie is the mind and how we live out through the through the movie, and yet we're this this small microcosmos of of the planet and who we are. And it, it's interesting how the two of them collide together, and yes, we we earn to be self realized and enlightened, but yes. Like you just described there, the the line in the sand between me and and this this big energy, it's it's fascinating. It is, and it's 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 the simplest thing, <laughs> but it is also the most complicated thing I know. It because I've seen both sides, I've seen both ways. Let me put it that way. Uh, so when I was in my suffering uh, I discovered love <laughs> I say I discovered love like I'm the first one to discover love of course I'm not everybody knows this love okay everybody is in love with love what I mean by I fell in love with love is my love got un- unleashed I realized it wasn't attached to a thing a person or an event and therefore it wasn't limited anymore and it would grow and grow and grow and it got very huge and ecstatic and and uh, overwhelming when you indulge in it it just it just gets better and better and this love i started to associate with the mystery because i still thought there was a separate me <laughs> and i wanted to know the mystery that which wasn't me which was everything else so we could call it the universe god whatever i started to call it god not like a guy with a bearded you know chin in the sky but to me god was the mystery the, the and the if i found this out it would heal somehow heal that missing thing in me because we somehow know that we are inseparable from that which we're missing right doesn't that make sense <laughs> it must be so and anyway so I was out seeking God the mystery but because I'd fallen in love with love I was completely satisfied I didn't want anything of the world I I didn't care for I didn't need anything and I didn't need to prevent anything and it's not that everything was perfect in my life materially, not at all. Nothing actually had changed from being poor and in debt and a few friends and no relationship and no work and no training for work, no prospects. That hadn't, None of that had changed. But I'd fallen in love with love, the experience of love, and unleashed it and knew I could have it anywhere, anytime. And... We pursue things in the world because we think it's going to give us love. It's going to give us happiness. It's going to give us peace. But here I was with all of that. So the seeking in the world stops. That doesn't mean I stop functioning. I still function just fine. But this constant, I remember it well, you know, trying to get this and prevent that. I've got to do this and I've got to do that in order to be happy. <laughs> I already was happy. And when that happened, that freed up so much energy. That freed up my attention, my interest, my time, like everything. And I could completely focus on this singular question that remained, because it was the last thing I wanted. I didn't want anything of the world. So what's left that matters to me was to know the truth, was to know the reality. I didn't know at the time anything called self-realization. I had heard about enlightenment, 
no idea really what that was. What happened was I found this book when I got interested in enlightenment because I heard some stories that were like, ooh, I want that, you know? <laughs> I found this book um, after the ecstasy, the laundry. And the first few stories in it were great. They're amazing. Ooh, that's what I want. And then the rest of the book went into like six months, six years of hell, dark night of the soul, misery for these people. And I was like, whoa, if that's what enlightenment is about, I don't want it because my life isn't that bad. <laughs> so I put it out of my mind. I put this idea completely out of my mind. But there I was seeking to know that which I didn't know and seeking it with all my heart everything and I had come to associate this love that I was experiencing with it because it was this love was far greater than me so this had to be it <laughs> so I was seeking that in the woods wholeheartedly in fact I surrendered to it there was a time when the most important thing to me was my business so I could pay the bills because I was starving, basically. I was scrambling to um, pay the rent and getting food at the local food cupboard. And I thought I had to do, I had to do the business. I had to, but I wanted to do it my way. <laughs> this is what the false eye does. I, I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to do taxes. I don't want to really do much work, but I want to have a business and money is <laughs> complete insanity. But so there was this, what I want, what I want, what I want, especially with regards to work. But when I was in bliss and ecstasy, usually in the woods, I surrendered because I realized this is so good, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I could do anything. As long as I'm happy like this, I'll do it. <laughs> like, who cares, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I surrendered what I wanted in the woods. I said, do with me what you will. I don't care. As long as I have this, I'm happy. It causes tears now, too. It's still there. <laughs> do with me what you will. Uh, I'd already been given this in my perspective, and it wasn't going away, and it was only getting better. And so that day, I was doing everything I had learned to do. I was walking meditatively. I was doing self-inquiry. I was <laughs> having bursts and explosions. I call them micro-explosions now. They were pretty big to me at the time. These little bursts and explosions of love and joy and peace. And seeking. So that was, I think, like the fourth factor. The desire, not for enlightenment, but for the truth, for yourself, for the mystery, for what's missing here. Because enlightenment is, you know, people desire enlightenment. They, they, what is that? They really want to just add it unto themselves. Now we get a lot of uh, enlightened egos running around out there, you know. And so this would, the, the idea of enlightenment, the word, the thought was long dismissed from my vocabulary and forgotten but I was genuinely seeking this and I wanted it more than anything and I would give anything for it. And I wanted to see God. That's how it arose. 
I want to see God, not think God or believe God or hope there's God. But I also didn't want to see a bearded guy come down, you know, from the clouds. I didn't think that's what God was, but I wanted to see. What does it mean? I, I wanted to directly know, not just have a nice idea, because I saw how futile thoughts are, how weak they are. They come, they go, they're here one day, they're not the next. Belief is a very fickle, faint, weak thing. But I felt like there's something real here that that I can have or know, or I want something real that does not leave, something that lasts. So there I was seeking God. (laughs) 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 And uh, up came, you know, the question, because up came the thought first, well, God is everywhere. Turn over a stone, turn over a leaf, there's God. I don't know where that came from, Aaron, you know. I don't know if I heard that from a Bible quote or something, but, you know, turn over a leaf, turn over a rock. And I'm looking at leaves and rocks from out in the woods. And I'm like, I don't see God. (laughs) But I want to see God. And so there was another moment. These things always happen in the silence. You know, the mind is spinning. I want, I want, I want. But then you stop and up comes, well, God is everywhere. And I, then I said, well, if God is everywhere, how come it's not obvious? <laughs> how come it's not obvious? I was very frustrated for a while prior to this. At this state, I wasn't. I was very actually excited and just so full of love. It's genuinely wanting, not wanting in a bad way, wanting in a loving way. There's different kinds of wants. How come it's not obvious? Well, And I had learned one thing from another teacher I'd heard. The only thing I ever liked from this this teacher, and it was, there's no such thing as a question. They're all statements of what you already know. So I'm saying, how come God's not obvious? Okay, that's not truly a question. That's a statement of what I am claiming I already know. And uh, so I questioned it, because I'd learned to question my questions. And the question came, well, what is obvious? And I looked around, well, the rocks, the trees, the leaves, they're obvious. And I went, as what? Obviously, as what? And I realized, I don't know. I don't know what a rock is. I don't know what a tree is. I don't, I don't know how a seed grows from a seed to come up as a flower that hangs in the middle of space, nowhere. And, and I realized, nobody knows. And that this is a miracle. And I realized God is a miracle. And then I realized, ah, well, that's everything. (laughs) And then it became so obvious. (laughs) Everything is this miracle, a.k.a. God. But the kicker was when the question rose, does that include me? And I... I couldn't find myself outside of everything. <laughs> and that was when the love exploded at my chest in a supernova. Oh. oh. And then it hit my head. And I fell to my knees, bawling, tears rolling down my face. The love explosion was beyond any. And I'd lived in love and bliss for nine months. And it was just like a supernova. And I'm on my knees. I can't stop the stream and I look up and I see the trees but I I see they're me okay and then I look at the next tree and uh, also me 
and the next tree and and the leaves and, the, and I'm looking everywhere in shock all I see is me it's my categories <laughs> <laughs> even the cat is uh, joining in <laughs> yes <laughs> all I see is me and I went to say it's me nothing came out I couldn't speak it was thought was gone so if everything is you what do you have to speak who do you have to speak to and it wasn't concerning at all I laughed so hard I thought I was gonna hurt and I laughed so long I just laughed and cried and laughed and cried I fell in the snow and I laughed and cried and laughed and cried could not speak looking at it all just looking at everything yes that too that too that too it's all me <sighs> yeah and after a while I don't know how long the sun started to go down and I remembered I was co-hosting a party tonight of spiritual friends <laughs> and that I realized oh I, I'm, I'm late probably <laughs> and, but prior to that all these you know thoughts there's there are, there are no others there's nowhere to go there's nothing to do thoughts started to come back at some point but it this wasn't even thought this was just a immediate direct realization there's no problem everything is perfect and i could stay here forever but i knew that was a silly thought because here is everywhere <laughs> so, so and where would you go anyway and so I went, oh yes there's a party tonight <laughs> i started walking back and I laughed the whole way. I could not stop laughing. And I phoned my friend and I said, I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was, uh, okay, what's so funny? I'll tell you when I get there. <laughs> so, so I had to go pick her up and I had to pick up two friends and go to the party. And I laughed the whole way I, to getting her. And I tried to say it and I knew it sounded so lame <laughs> it either sounded lame or it sounded mm, like I should be committed <laughs> 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 but you know this was a good friend who of many years so you know I, I did say it but as soon as I said it you know it, it just instantly reminded me of a saying that a Zen master once said that when he tries to speak it it's like something found in a dog's mouth Wow, it's, yeah. That just goes to show you how unspeakable it is. The most divine truth, when it comes out in words or in the mind, is not it. Is not it. Anyway, so I uh, started to finally calm down, control the laughing before I picked up the next friend. And I got quiet, you know, I was, okay, I've got this, right? And she comes in, she sits down and it's quiet and I'm not, nobody's saying a word and I pull away and then she goes, so what's new? Because <laughs> 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 it's not new and it's not old and it's, <laughs> oh my God, I started laughing all over again, laugh all the way to the party and then laugh there. And then I'm like, I should say something to share something let's uh, tell somebody so i said guys guys come here come here i gotta tell you i gotta tell you something you know four of them came around <laughs> and i said this just happened in the woods i was out there and i was walking in the woods and i looked up the trees and i saw they're me and 
and I saw their looks in the faces and I said, never mind. <laughs> Let's go back to the party. <laughs> I just couldn't speak it, you know. Aaron, it was months, months before I could, even speaking it now is not it. I know that, but I've learned some ways to point to, uh, to help people uh, see, because this is not something the mind can grasp. It is so, the mind can't go there. That's why thought and speech stop. It has to stop. And realization of the self is the stopping of mind and uh, delusion is the running away of the mind as, as the false self, as I, a.k.a. ego. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it, was, it was weird for a while after that. My direct perception of everything was adjusting. And I, that's, do I have no other word for that except for wonky? Everything was wonky. I, I didn't have a car at the time, so I was taking the bus and I'd be on the bus and the sounds and the sights and everything was just wonky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it kind of reminds me of that thing that must have happened for soldiers when they did that experiment where they put goggles on them and they put a video feed of their environment through the goggles but they turned it upside down oh wow yeah and it took like 30 days for that to be not wonky for them and what happened in the end was they um the mind righted everything okay Okay. they're still wearing the goggles but the mind turned it all right side up and after that happened guess what they did kind kind people that they are they took the goggles off <laughs> and everything is again upside down and and it took another 30 days for that to write itself and and they never did that experiment again i don't think <laughs> <laughs> um it, so it, it kind of reminds me everything was sort of wonky for 30 days as it was all getting mm, resorted in the brain no longer of self and other but everything self Wow, that's that's a profound experience to to understand. And I do think that the brain has its limitation of processing um, that is related to a higher uh, level and and love. Yeah, well, we are limited by the brain. It's our tools. The brain is how we sense and see things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the brain is our senses, actually. It is our seeing, our hearing, our touching. And this is why, in truth, everything we see and hear and touch is ourself. If you want to boil it down to that kind of sort of scientific explanation. Um, and the brain gets imprinted and it function, it's slow to change. You know, in the case of these soldiers, it took 30 days for it to turn things around. Uh, Maybe that's why people think you need 30 days to change a habit, but it's not true. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you don't need 30 days to change a habit. But for, for something like how the brain processes or creates, we could say, your experience, it's, it's deeply biological even. It's, it's, this is why when people say, you know, they think that, especially non-dualists think that, oh, Self-realization, that's just, there is no self. They have a nice thought, there is no self. I'm like, no, there's way more to this than that little thought. Uh, You're talking about a very complex body-mind. 
And so to just sort of have the thought, there is no, no separate self. Anybody can do that. And there's a lot of people out there now doing that, going around. I'm enlightened. They go, why? Oh, there is no, there is no separate self. Yeah, but what is this world? Who are you? Where are you? Were you born? We've been told a lot of things that we have, the body mind has used to form our perception of the world. Like you were born. Heck, we've got videos nowadays. In the old days, it was just photos, but I don't think many people took photos of the birthing process <laughs> back then. No. <laughs> now we do videos. <laughs> now we have full color videos um, with audio. Uh, and so, yeah, you can see bodies are born, but as Ramana Maharshi asked himself, is the body I? Is the body I? Is I and the body one and the same thing? Doing inquiry one can discover, no, the body is not I, and therefore not the body. So yeah, body was born, but were you born? And so we've concocted, we could say, the body-mind has concocted the story that you were born, that you were in this body somehow, although you have no proof of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so we've got this movie, this like ongoing movie of me, in the mind, the story of I, of what I is, of where I is, of how I came to be. And it's never been questioned. And it is that, that the body-mind creates your experience on. You believe there's a you separate from you. So you look at the walls and there's a story between you and the walls that says, not me. The story has been removed here. All is seen as it is, without story, without movie. The nature of our self is not limited to a body, is not limited to a movie in the mind, is not limited to a story, is not limited to a past, is not limited to a name, a star sign, a sex, a culture. The nature of I is completely unlimited. All things appear to be born and die within it, but it does not. Wow, that's um, quite profounding if you look at it as a whole. Yeah, and that's all I can do now. (laughs) 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 There There isn't any other way. And in truth, it's all everybody is doing. Everybody sees the same self, but we don't know that that's that is what we see. It's sort of like if there were, you know, four people around a rope, all thinking it was a snake, except for one person who sees that it's a rope. And everybody else is saying, snake, snake, snake. (laughs) And all the villagers come running with their shovels and sticks to kill the snake. And when they arrive, they're expecting to see a snake too. So they're all saying, snake, snake, snake. And one person's going, no, no, rope, it's a rope. (laughs) Same thing. They're all seeing the same thing. The eyes don't lie, but the movie in the mind, the story, can tell a different story. (laughs) (laughs) Does the, is the story like our our matrix to 
to living but once we become awakened or get in that state of self-realization we're out of the movie does that mean we're we still have to live we still have to be here but does does that mean that that we are on a different plane or level or what what does that feel like yeah uh no there's a saying before enlightenment chop wood carry water after enlightenment chop wood carry water (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah i i know you know when i heard these ideas like okay you're dreaming and you have to wake up and i think about going to bed at night and dreaming and you you can be dreaming you're on a mountain somewhere right but you wake up you're in a bed (laughs) so i thought does that mean when you wake up like you're on a different planet or something like what's that about right or is this planet you know transformed into some pollyanna you know village where people don't eat anything and they live on light or something (laughs) no no it's not like that are all your problems solved like your material world problems no they do change because now part of what was driving them before was the movie you know your behavior based on the movie and you know if someone is depressed and they're acting depressed they lay on a couch and so they don't move the body so that depresses the body so it's sort of self-fulfilling as well (laughs) once they're caught up in it but once that is lifted you're free you're free to act you're free to move you're free your presence is different your activities are different you're open you're not fearless because you're you're brave it's because the fear just falls away and so you do things that maybe you wouldn't have done before because you don't even think that to be brave because you're not even afraid (laughs) if that makes sense um so, you know, your contribution, let's say, to the whole does work better for the whole of this body-mind's life. Um, and so, but if it didn't, it wouldn't matter to you. <laughs> so what has happened to this life since then? What has happened? Uh, my spine has healed. Uh, the dead is gone. I've been given incredible amounts of free money unbidden unlooked for um and i'm not saying these things because i don't want i don't want people to think go get enlightened and all your material world problems are going to be fine no 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 (laughs) i think so i mean there's still some particular issues i i'm not i'm not rich i'm not i don't have a savings for my retirement um, there is still uh, some damage in the spinal area, but as long as I keep doing my yoga and keep doing my stretching and my walking and my exercise, it's okay. See, if I were wrapped up in the mind, I'd be like, I don't want to exercise today. I don't want to do yoga today. <laughs> this is going to result in a very painful body. But that doesn't happen because I don't have this, I'm not living like the thinker that's not what I is and so it's out of the way and and things are better taken care of and that may change your outside uh, worldly experience and it may change your bodily experience somewhat 
but it, it, yeah, it's it's not like your world magically changes and <laughs> well, it does magically change in that it is not what you thought it was. So it doesn't change, but it goes back to its natural state. And that is huge. That is huge. You, you no longer suffer life. It's a joy. You no longer uh, trigger suffering in people so much. It's not, it's not possible to cannot be part of being triggering somebody else because other people have their own movies in the mind. You could be the most kindest, sweetest, compassionate person and they still can make a movie up about you and they can still imagine things about you that aren't true. So you can't control people's suffering, but it does really help. <laughs> you know, it's much nicer to be in a room of nice egos than suffering egos. There's no doubt about it. But it's also nice to be without identification with the body mind, no matter where you are. Now, you could be with any kind of ego. It doesn't matter. In fact, you don't see the egos because they're yourself. And so whatever they're doing is acceptable because that's what they're doing. <laughs> it's not a problem. No. Um, did that answer the question? <laughs> it, it sure did. And and Cindy, I want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing what I got to share. It's been a, a fantastic conversation. Mm, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoy this kind of sharing and your questions. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 